and all of a sudden you snap back and a bunch of people on the plane are like moaning and holding their their dracon beam wounds and or are just dead and then also your cargo hold is empty and half the suitcases are gone like i have nice clothes i want my suitcase (laughs) waiting for a break in the Waiting for the moment to change your lane I came home from the wasteland Heroic and triumphant like a comic book girl Created out of nothing like a comic book girl Hey! Okay, let's get, let's get it, let's do it. Let's get it over with. Let's talk about this book. I feel like, I feel like the middle transitional Animorph here, I feel like the Cassie in the middle. Like, if you look at that Cassie in the middle, that's how I feel right now. So let's do it. (laughs) I honestly do think that I am just a kangaroo wearing a flannel sweater. Mm Mm-hmm. That's valid. That definitely feels like me. What about you, Cassandra? I think I'm actually the uh, dingo that the kangaroos drown. Oh, dang. That's not depicted on the cover, but... That's, That's the mood today. Jesus, okay. Erso, can you please introduce yourself? Um, <laughs> yes. My name is... I swear to God, if you say another <laughs> fake name. My first my first born name that I was given at birth is Tajala. Let's not do this. It's uh, not a dog. In Let's not do this. <laughs> first Erso, appearance I swear to God. Hi, I'm Parker. Everything is fine. Renevere, I use she, her pronouns. Hi, I'm Cassandra Kelly. I use she, her pronouns. And my fun fact is that I have eaten kangaroo, actually. You ate Cassie in this book? No. You killed her and ate her? I ate a different kangaroo. Are you looking at the cover? Look into look into her innocent eyes. I'm not looking at the cover. I'm looking at my embroidery. Look at that poor kangaroo. You would kill this kangaroo and eat it? Well, not now. I'm a vegetarian now, Just to but sustain I ate a kangaroo as a child. Your wretched existence. <laughs> I also ate a crocodile and an emu. Ooh. Do we do a fun fact? Uh, if you want to. I just did a fun fact. My so. fun fact is that this is my first appearance and only appearance. Just in general? Mm-hmm. In life? Yeah. Okay, cool. Bye. Uh, do you want me to summarize the book that we read this yes, week? Yes. Go for it. <laughs> okay. This is the- wait, can we acknowledge that this is the last week of the semester and that oh, no, is No, I'm trying not sad. to think about it. <laughs> I just can't believe that we're two semesters in and there's still a pandemic happening. Like, <laughs> Right? Like, come on. We're supposed to, you know, have good medical care and stuff in this country, hypothetically. Yeah, we're supposed to have jetpacks and fly cars, too. Right? <laughs> Where's my jetpack? <laughs> Where's my cyborg limbs? Hmm? I was about to say in your heart, but that's just a pacemaker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I... If we are going to live in the future with all the, the bad stuff, we might as well have it be a cool cyberpunk mm-hmm. dystopia, right? Like, not like Okay, a, James Buchanan Barnes. I understood that reference. <laughs> I understood that reference. Plot summary. Yeah, do a plot summary before we get to okay. again. So, Cassie is feeling a continued crisis of faith in the importance of the Animorphs... Oh my god, Cassie gets packed onto an airplane that accidentally goes to Australia. She has a showdown with Visser 3, and then her chief picks her up. We're good. That's it. Thank you, Parker. Somewhere along the way, she cuts off a gangrious limb and also morphs 
a kangaroo and develops a crush on like some guy not that's not textual it's kind of textual it's not textual it's subtextual at least so what did you guys think of this book because i did not like it i felt like it was a bad one to end on for the semester so i sort of i I got confused and i thought that we were ending on 45 and i was like that makes a lot of sense and then it's like oh 44 see you next semester and i was like wait what (laughs) well not even see you next semester it's like a way high leveled class and i um can't fit it in my schedule oh dang so I mean, I'll still hang out with you guys, so we will still see each other next semester, but, like, cool. I'm yeah. not going to be in the class that finishes up the end, because it's... I guess I hadn't even really, like, decided if I was going to take that, or even if I can take that, but, mm-hmm. yeah, it seems like a weird one to end on. They're really, genuinely, there's not a lot that happens, and I'm kind of stumped. I don't really know why we were told to read this. Like, are we just getting off easy at the, the end of the semester here? Do you guys want to just hang out, and maybe Mr. Bradley Leone will let us... I can call him Mr. because the semester's ending. <laughs> All of the books are important in some capacity or another. Um, I feel like they're all valid as historical documents. Otherwise, they wouldn't be on the syllabus. Okay, babes. Why did you think this one was important? Please. Enlighten me, because I'm at a loss. I have a lot of things to say, but none of them are very (laughs) useful. I think it's a a chronicle of Cassie's character growth as a person. Um, It shows her absorbing the strengths of her friends and allowing them to help or sort of address situations she wouldn't have the confidence or the grit to handle otherwise. Yeah, that's that's what I got. It made me really nostalgic for Australia. <laughs> uh, sorry, keep going, Parker. That was just my only contribution. It's like, no, it makes me feel okay. nostalgic for Australia. I feel like it's really good that they've decided to pull their money and uh, enroll Marco at Driver's Ed. I think that that'll be really good for them <laughs> going forward. <laughs> I mean, depending... Well, okay, so here's the thing. In California, you can start your learner's permit learning at 15 and a half and we know that in like one of the recent books last book maybe whatever jake was 15 so it might not actually be that long until marco is allowed to start taking driver's lessons they would be suspicious they would like they'd be like have you been driving around without a license you'd be like well i haven't been but a certain gorilla named jim certainly has been (laughs) i mean plenty of people's parents like teach them at home my parents taught me at home i still don't know how to drive but they tried it is tragic though that he will not have a parent who could adequately sort of teach him how to drive as a gorilla because he's only gonna he's gonna have to be relying upon the knowledge of how you drive using human physiology as he's driving at his gorilla morph yeah so, he's gonna he's gonna get into the car and he's be like this feels like a little doesn't this feel a little big for you doesn't this car feel a consider, little consider consider how short a gorilla's legs are relative to his arms and then consider how far forward marco's gonna have to jack the seat in order to be able to reach the pedals i've read three books ahead and marco actually drives as a gorilla again next book so. i'm so happy to hear that it's just a weird consistent thing that happened it's apparently. a balm to my soul every time we read a book where marco drives a car in gorilla morph <laughs> it's just like you know in like a heist movie you have like the driver that's marco <laughs> yes uh it's yeah the, like the hacker dude who, yeah. who like, cracks the safe mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Who's Rachel? Rachel's the the guard, the like the the, the yeah the hitter. Jake's and the leader. Does, does that make the... Cassie the grifter? Maybe yeah, like kind of a con man, like someone who's like really charming and good at acting. Yeah, her oh. grifter name is uh, Cindy Crawford. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say she's, she's called me she's up. Not good at fooling. acting. One two three four five six seven eight nine zero. 
<laughs> I mean, I feel like that's the that's the only role that she would really like. I mean, I guess Jay could be the grifter theoretically. He's got that. And Tobias is like the sniper. That's how I think of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Tobias is the lookout. He's the mm-hmm. uh, he's the guy who's watching the window while everyone else is tossing down poker chips and stuff i don't know <laughs> chapter 24 rachel says something really sweet i'm just jumping to the end because this is what i've got <laughs> um that's fine i'm trying to find the exact point basically rachel says something very sweet and nice to cassie that affirms her uh and that i i appreciate from people telling cassie that she's good perspective uh rachel yeah. says your mother like, can't even imagine how infinite lot. your potential is and i'm just yeah. like that's good that's really good that's some of that good found family stuff that I love. Uh-huh. Yeah, she needs more of that. I really relate to like how Cassie worries a lot about morality and like is she being a good person. And so every time that like someone like validates Cassie's feelings and tells her like you're a good person, it's good to have you, it's good to have you thinking about like morality and stuff. I'm just like, "Oh, Yay. I agree. I think, and you know, I think Parker's right about the fact that that is in part what this journal is really about is like, I, I, I made a note about this as, as well in the beginning that like, she's just learning to positively internalize all the traits that the whole team has. And like, she has had to be in so many scary situations with them where she's had to sort of manage everyone's emotions. But like, now she's just playing everyone's strengths to support her, which is nice. Yeah, I really laughed at the part where she's like, oh, no one else except maybe Rachel would be stupid enough to get caught. Like, because I was like, Cassie, every single one of the other Animorphs absolutely could have ended <laughs> up in this situation. They are 15-year-olds. Like, come on. <laughs> exactly. This is a good point, and I agree with it. Voices in my head, definite sign of mental illness. Girl, you're... you're- traumatized don't make a joke out of like imagining your friend's voice is trying to help you it's fine <laughs> just <laughs> i blame it on the media from the 1990s those kids yeah. had so many so many pieces of media telling them that being crazy looks like this and it was bad for these reasons and mm-hmm. i think she's fine i think she knows she's fine she summons her inner resolve that is her uh i guess they all have that but it is it feels like a cassie thing you know that that's her strength Mm-hmm. It also it feels very anime, like my true power is my friends, which I love. Don't get me wrong, I love anime. <laughs> How many times have we compared this or three to an anime villain? How many times have we mentioned Sailor Moon within the course of our class discussions? Anyway, is it time for me to humble brag about how I've been to Australia a bunch? I guess <laughs> the book's about more than that, but please just tell us all your weird knowledge about the outback. It's really funny because a lot of my experiences in Australia were like not necessarily great, like not not awful or anything just not great like even when i was there as a fairly young kid i had to deal with a lot of sexism and stuff like that and also while i i do like camping uh the amount of roughing it that i've had to do in australia is a little much for me so i was really surprised how like nostalgic this made me feel for being in australia because the area where i've spent a decent bit of time in australia is like this same area that this takes place in in the northern territory um I specifically had spent a bunch of time around Kakadu. I don't know. I really enjoyed reading it, actually. It must have been nice to just hear some of those names and, like, 
see descriptions of the landscape. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and on the names, one thing that I thought was great is that Uluru is that really big, famous red rock that's, like, really associated with Australia, and the uh, garbage colonizer name is Ayers Rock. It's, like, actually called Uluru. I wasn't surprised that, like, the people who actually lived there were calling it Uluru, but I was, like, pleasantly surprised that, you know, Cassie remembered that and put it in the book and stuff, because... I feel like Cassie would do her research. But yeah. Yeah, I just feel like of a random name to hear, and then if she, like, went and tried to look it up later, it'd all be like, Ayers Rock, Ayers Rock. And that it was, like, reprinted and, like, yeah. and made into the PDF with the right name and everything. Yeah. I mean, if she remembers Boeing Turbine PW400, she probably remembers <laughs> Uluru. Good point. You know, I just looked up Uluru on the internet, and there's, like, a little, like, just dis- dis- description here. <laughs> there's a picture. It says... Uluru as the name, and then it has rock in Australia. <laughs> like, you know, it would be like if I looked up a pizza business, it'd be like, pizza business, would you like to go to this rock? This rock has 4.5 stars. <laughs> I should make an internet page for just like a stone outside of my house and be like, <laughs> rate this rock. You should do that. That would be funny. <laughs> it does look cool though. Why is she so red? Uh, minerals probably? PSA, don't actually climb Uluru. It's bad for it and it's banned. Um, quote, inside was a sweater, a man's cardigan. The elbows were threadbare and the whole thing reeked of mothballs, but it was a sweater packed under two bottles of prune juice. Ick. I rolled the bottles aside. <laughs> I know this man. <laughs> it, okay, so at the end of this book, Somebody mentions that the gentleman whose prune juice yeah, and sweater this is. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was a joke or not. I was trying to figure out I think if it's it a was joke, like yeah. a joke. That would imply that Cassie specified that she stole a threadbare sweater and a bottle, of, a couple bottles of prune juice. Did she not? I guess she might have. I mean, she used the sweater and it it flew off of her when she jumped out of the plane. Some rich old Australian guy, this is Marco saying it, okay, so no, it probably is a joke. Some rich old Australian guy's offering <laughs> yeah. a bundle of cash for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for stealing a sweater or two bottles of prune juice from a suitcase. No, you're totally right. That's jokes. I ca- why did Cassie tell them all of the details about that? She's like, okay, and then I open up the suitcase. What's inside? A sweater and two bottles of prune juice. Like, why did you tell her? Why did you tell everyone all those details? Here's Cassie? the specific name of the engine part that I had to move aside in order to reach the crate <laughs> yeah. of naval oranges. And then I told oh, I them which arteries I had to tie together in order to make sure that this man didn't bleed out. Yeah. Like, what? I, I think the thing that I, like, the reason that I wasn't sure whether or not the, the sweater and produce sort of bounty was a joke uh, was because I was still reeling from the backwoods amputation scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty bad. I, I can handle an amputation. I'm in pre-med, but, like... I just, it just kind of showed up all of a sudden. It went from zero to gangrenous limb really fast. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I've had a bit of a week and I don't want to be reading this right now. And I went and did something Yeah. Else. Also, just Cassie's descriptions are always... Gross. Yeah. <laughs> Girl, we got to sit you down and we got to talk about something. Girl. Yeah, we got to figure out what's going on. Your that. descriptions of things are gross. <laughs> to quote me reading this in real time. <laughs> what if we just had a normal Animorphs book about Cassie, not one that involves surgery and new and exciting ways to have people exist and also die? silliest things that stressed me out about this book was throughout the whole plane sequence i was so stressed out about the luggage because every time that i have like flown on a plane i have been 
so worried that my luggage was going to get lost. So I was just sitting there like, at first, you know, first it's bad enough that like one flight's worth of luggage gets like exploded by Rachel. But then, but at least that, like, you know, the suitcases are there on the tarmac, presumably, like they can probably retrieve them. And at least people saw, you know, oh, whoops, a grizzly bear wrecked your luggage. Like, at least, you know, but then it's even worse for the people on the plane, if any of them even lived, because a bunch of them got shot, that like, just something mysteriously happens. And all of a sudden, you like, snap back. And a bunch of people on the plane are, like, moaning and holding their, their drake on beam wounds and or yeah. just dead. And then also your cargo hold is empty and half the suitcases are gone. Like, I have nice clothes. I want my suitcase. <laughs> you know, Also, I... it sucks to, like, wake up next to someone dead, but... Reasons I am terrified of flights. <laughs> you know, I would have thought... If you if we'd read this book sort of midway through this semester or last semester, I probably would have told you that I was surprised that this f- sort of set of circumstances occurred wherein everybody, I, I guess their plane landed, uh, despite everything that happened, wherein a bunch of people landed and realized that there were disintegration marks in the plane and that they all had a bunch of like identical wounds in the same spot and that there's a chunk of the ride that they can't remember. I would tell you that it was surprising that I hadn't heard about that prior in just like a weird things in history smorgasbord of information that I find myself on. Except now, no. No, I believe that we wouldn't hear about something like that. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, this makes actually a lot of sense. Like, it could easily have been covered up and just sort of explained away as, like, one of those weird things that, like, happens. Because, like, you know, there's a bunch of scary, weird stuff that's unexplainable that's happened throughout history. I feel like anyone who would speak up about that kind of thing would just, you know, they'd be, like, called crazy. Like, what do you, you know? Surprise vacation off to Tasmania or whatever. I hear hear that Uzbekistan is fine this time of year. (laughs) God, may may we all never go to Uzbekistan. Like a pact. Here, here, sister, here, here. I didn't know male kangaroos were called boomers. Okay, boomer. <laughs> this is very funny to me for that reason alone. I actually, I don't think I'd ever heard anyone say that in Australia that I can remember. I don't, I'm, I, it sounds like vaguely familiar. So like, I do think it's probably real, but I just like have no memory of being like, oh yeah, mate, a boomer. <laughs> or whatever don't judge my australian accent i looked I'm it up and it, I, I based on what i found on the internet it is correct so yeah like i believe it the thing about them going out to bodies water and drowning things is also true yeah i did know that i fully i fully believe in the ability of kangaroos specifically red kangaroos to repel an invading alien force because they are incredibly buff incredibly belligerent and they are everywhere they're pests in australia i didn't know that that's so interesting i thought that they were like endangered or something no everyone thinks i don't know this is like the second person i've seen this week being like oh i thought kangaroos were endangered they're not (laughs) they're pests like people. i guess i just assume that because they're cute (laughs) and they're not even cute if you see them up close they're like terrifying and buff it's like facing down like a bodybuilder with like ominous tattoos that look like they might imply that he's like a neo-Nazi. Also, he's wearing a pair of stilts and there are like industrial <laughs> springs attached to the stilts. And also there yeah. are knives attached to the bottoms of the springs. Yeah. They're huge. I cannot overstate how huge and incredibly muscular red kangaroos are. Like they are so scary. Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, you hear about all the the ways that Australia will kill you. And don't get me wrong, there's some very scary, like, snakes and stuff there. 
but they don't talk about the kangaroos enough. It is completely reasonable for the the kid, whose name I can't remember right now, to be worried about his dog, because a kangaroo- Yummy, thank you. Will kill your dog. I wouldn't be surprised, because people have been in Australia for a really long time, so I wouldn't be surprised if- at some point, a kangaroo had killed someone in Australia, and it's just not in, like, recent recorded history. Mm-hmm. Emus, on the other hand, have a very fun history of combat in Australia. Ah, uh, yes, the Emu War. The Emu War! The Great Emu War. The Great Emu War, yes. I just want to ride an emu or an ostrich or something, you know? Uh, no, you That's don't. That's a bad idea. Why? You guys always ga- shoot down my ideas dinosaurs. of riding animals. They're literally dinosaurs. Unless you're like my height, you should not be trying to ride an emu. A big emu. Oh, one thing that um, I thought was really interesting that Cassie said was uh, she's talking about like risk taking. And she says that in some ways she's the biggest risk taker of the Animorphs, even more so than Rachel. In context, I think that she is saying that she's framing like empathy and compassion as a risk, I actually was wondering if either of you had like interpretations of this because I wasn't totally sure how to read it, but I thought she was referring back to the the guy that she saved and how saving him was a risk. And she seemed to sort of more broadly be talking about caring about people and compassion and empathy being risky. And I thought that was a really interesting way to phrase it because I felt like I, I kind of agreed with that to some extent. And so I thought it was really interesting that Cassie thinks of herself as more of a risk taker even than Rachel is. I think that's a good way of looking at it for the most part. And she says this, she says like, oh, I, wouldn't, I don't want to be like the martyr, but I do think it's like high risk to be empathetic most of the time and be the one who like does the hard thing to save someone's life instead of calling it like a necessary casualty of a higher goal. I think that's what she's referencing. Like she got in this situation partially because some (laughs) maybe subpar decision making, but also she just wanted to save like the military dude. Which, you know. You know, yeah, maybe, (laughs) I mean, maybe not the most innocent person, but they assume the best of everyone, all humans at the very least. Um, <laughs> oh, and I mean, she feels bad about killing the hork controllers. Yeah, she's like so. the only one who does. I mean, it's kind of nice to see that for a change. Yeah. yeah. But also Rachel's opinion in that situation that is like ringing in Cassie's brain has a good point. They're trying to kill you. And like, if you have to kill an innocent in order to not die, sometimes I guess that's okay. Perhaps we could consider Cassie labeling herself uh, a risk taker or someone who is the riskiest. Let's think about it in the context of how we as outside observers in a culture that lionizes her sort of interpret the qualities that she's talking about there because it seems to me that the way that we would sort of interpret the choices that she makes are not that she's a risk taker, it's that she's brave. Yeah, I guess there is a difference with that. And that distinction is made for Rachel as well, that there's like a difference. I would say there is a difference because, I mean, there's kind of the old adage that bravery is not the absence of fear. Bravery is acting despite the presence of fear, you know? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's where Cassie and Rachel deviate a little bit because Rachel is afraid of so little or at least puts on... Yeah. It sort of like has a way to compartmentalize and shelve away fear 
Uh, she definitely does talk about being afraid in her books a bit, but for her, bravery is a switch that she flips, and she sort of turns it on and is like, okay, I'm not going to be afraid now. Let's go do Let's the do thing it. That we need to do. Let's Whereas do Cassie it. is constantly afraid. Yeah. For other people in addition to herself. Yeah, maybe more so for other people than herself. I definitely agree with that assessment. Would you say that then she's probably the bravest Animor? I would say yes. Yeah, I, I think I might agree. That's sweet coming from you. Yeah. Well, but I also, I, I do feel like caring about people can be really risky like i've had some really bad like friendship implosions and stuff like that Mm -hmm. sometimes it does feel risky to like let yourself become really really close to someone especially because like being vulnerable with people often it does feel like you're sort of handing them a knife and being like this is exactly where you could stab me that would hurt the most and so i think choosing to care about people in many ways, not just in like anamorph ways, can be really brave. And that's why I don't do it a lot, because I'm a coward. I feel like it's a pretty harsh thing to say about yourself, but well, I think I'm there's a, a difference between myself. cowardice and like knowing that you've been hurt or traumatized I've been before. Hurt like... before. <laughs> the first cut is the, the deepest. deepest. Baby, I know the first cut is the deepest. I would like to consider this book in the context of another journal. Uh huh. In inter intra in intertextual intertextual whatever. I feel like it could be either depending on like how you choose to think of the journals. Do you choose to think of them as one unit or a smaller unit? Proximal to the greater context of the journals, rather than distal to it. Okay, anyway. I don't know what any of those words mean, but continue. Pre-med stuff, don't worry about it. All right, let's consider if we're- Distal is- Distal is further away from proximal is closer to. Okay, so if we're considering Animorphs Volume 44, The Unexpected, in the context of Cassie coming into her own and learning how to synthesize the positive qualities of the people that she's around um, and sort of becoming a more complete- dynamic person i would say complete dynamic fighter but yeah fair enough person shaped by war okay so if we're considering edibors 44 the unexpected is the sort of narrative cassie's growth blah 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 let's consider it in the context and this might be a bit of a stretch because i'm pretty sure the consensus was that this one wasn't real but let's consider let's consider it in the context of edibors volume 41 the familiar where she's sort of future Cassie and she's a voluntary controller and she's sort of lost all of her ability to be compassionate for people that she's ostensibly fighting against. Do we see volume 44 as a movement away from the Cassie of volume 41? Hmm. That's a really smart question and I'm too dumb to answer it. <laughs> I'm considering what my answer will be. I think I disagree with you. I mean, I think I, I well, that no, you didn't. That's not what I meant to say. <laughs> I you want to take no. that again, buddy pal? I think yes. <laughs> I think this is a movement away from the war-torn Cassie. Mm-hmm. The New York, the New, the New, the New York the New City. York City Cassie. Hey, I'm doing guerrilla warfare here. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> uh. Hey, I'm morphing here. Hey, I'm morphing. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't we think of these jokes last time we were in class? Okay, so elaborate on that. Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> 
Can you elaborate on that? No. <laughs> Let the record show that I asked a good question of the group and that nobody took me up on it. I think that Cassie, this is really solidifying her as somebody who, even when she's on her own and she doesn't have any support, she tries to do the right thing, even when it puts her at risk. Mm-hmm. And in greater wartime scenarios, she is someone who is capable of, like, keeping the heart that she has and considering other people's opinions. But, like, I guess theoretically, at any point in someone's life, they could just sort of break and change like that. Because it does something, it is something that is, like, practical that she has to do, in addition to being, like, a trait about her Mm -hmm. that she can't control. So, yeah. Do you think that the experiences or, like, her sort of growth as we see it in volume 44 sort of, like, are, like, do you think they kind of shield her against becoming the person from 41? Because, like, because I agree that sometimes there's a point at which it just breaks and you just lose hope and you just decide to embrace brutality and pragmatism. And that time is 3.45 on a Friday afternoon when my boss asks me for the third time to reformat an Excel spreadsheet for him. Oh no, did that happen? constantly (laughs) awful terrible i definitely feel like she becomes stronger as a result of what happens here i don't know if if we're positing the sort of character that she becomes as uh, the result of some sort of like an event horizon moment where you're like oh from here there's no going back like oh this thing has happened Mm -hmm. to me and i have decided to embrace violence i've decided to choose violence this morning um (laughs) i don't know i like so so 44 is definitely her growing i don't know if it would steal her anymore for that occasion, for that moment. No, I don't think so. I, I don't think anything can prepare you for something like yeah. that. Like, it's not, there's nothing that you can do to avoid it. You just have to, like, you have to keep choosing every moment to do the right thing and not, like, prepare that. to, like, not do the wrong thing at some point, at a point that you can't predict. So, yeah. Because it it's just a choice at every point, at every step in the way. And if you just keep choosing to do the right thing and not, like, and like be conscious of that and not, like, be like, uh, I feel different this time and I'm just going to do what makes me feel better, then that's what, I mean, you're doing it right. So, I don't know. Yeah. I do think that Cassie is, like, kind of a people person, not necessarily in that she's, like, the life of the party or whatever, but in that she likes people a lot and she likes being around people and you know meeting people i think and stuff like that like she she seems to really just like humanity a lot of the time and other species yeah and other species and cassie's central character trait is that she likes things and people (laughs) cassie's central character trait is that she's the only animorph who's not always an edgelord she's just sometimes an edgelord but so (laughs) i think that having her be isolated like this Like, I wouldn't be surprised if part of the reason that she turned into that future version of herself is because she felt isolated. And so I felt like this was kind of like a a trial run almost and like a way to not show her because I don't believe in the Alamus, but like a demonstration that she can get along fairly well, literally just dumped in the middle of Australia with like no resources because she immediately finds people and befriends them and helps them. You know, it's not even just like she shows up and like lazes around and is like, you have to help me because blah, blah, blah. You know, she helps them. She helps the the grandfather as well. And I think that that's just sort of a, a good reminder for Cassie in a way that she is 
really capable and she really just is really good at like forming an instant connection with anyone you know she she connected with Aftran like of all the people for Cassie to be able to connect with she was able to like befriend Aftran over the course of like two days. Aftran who chose her for her bravery. Yeah. Also I think that a term that maybe is not the term you were looking for but that I think also describes the sort of ordeal that she undergoes here is a tribulation. Like, almost in a biblical sense. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I guess a little bit, like, less directly motivated by some sort of higher power, because for once, this is a book where some crazy stuff happens and the Elemist is not to blame. (laughs) As far as we know. I read this book as a kid, and when I was rereading it now, I was like, did she just get, like, randomly zapped to Australia? Is that how she ends up there? And then it was, like, chapter 10, and we still weren't, like, in Australia. And I was like, how is she gonna do this? And then there's the whole plane thing, and I was like, oh, right, I see. I actually, I had the same thing i remembered reading it as a kid like vaguely it's like oh it's the one where cassie somehow ends up in australia and then mm-hmm. i was trying to i didn't remember either it's like oh it must be the elemist and then i was reading i was like where's the elemist where's the elemist where's my boy it, it was not he's not my boy but... my boy the elemist <laughs> hey where's my boy the droid where's that where's that <laughs> el misty what's up get in here no one uses fax machines but call you'll hear the noise statues left by and creaks the perfect cheeks of goddesses and boys piled in the closet broken toys hey so shout out to yami's grandfather here who is just like a chill dude who like obviously undergoes uh, a bit of medical trauma, which is not great. But even through that, uh, <laughs> sort of keeps his eye on the prize and I feel like gives Cassie a little bit of the reinforcement that she really needs here. He's uh, uh, chapter 20 on the first page. They're here because they're evil. His voice was a low rest. Do you fight these creatures? Yes, I-, I nodded. Yes. If you do not fight them, do you think they will leave us alone? Do you think they would stay away from this place and never hurt us? No, they would come. They would take our land, destroy our our home. Our life would be gone forever. This I know. Do everything you can and anything you must. I only wish I could help. I'm like, yeah. Is this about Yerks or is this about white people? I mean, both. (laughs) Yerks are an empire, so like, what else is an empire? That's probably how he knows. Like, that's probably what he's thinking about. Like, if he's extrapolating Mm -hmm. from, you know, previous experience definitely like that's that's why he knows what it's like when someone comes to your land to do imperialism Mm -hmm. yeah he knows that and he gives her that good advice do everything you can and anything you must yeah i think anything you must is the most important part of that anything anything you can everything you can and anything you must you need to pull out all the stops anything you have to do not anything that (laughs) seems morally dubious enough for you to feel like doing yeah i am tired of them acting like every single time they have to steal something it's like the end of the world yeah like, the scrupulosity that she experiences is par- like parrot par- feels like a parody uh-huh. i think it's probably because they're americans and they're raised in a capitalist society and oh like, yeah property is the most important thing and so taking someone else's property is worse than killing them or whatever yeah like property's fake babes just like <laughs> property's fake give it up it's fine say goodbye to your threadbare sweater there's a child who's stuck in the cargo hold who deeds it very very badly and there was one part in the book that i i feel like a lot of times because these journals are about specific events and specific missions and a lot of times they're about kind of 
explosive big missions and big fights. I feel like I've been having a really easy time forgetting how insidious the infiltration by the Yerk Empire is because Cassie has some bit and I don't want to pull out the book to look because my hands are full right now but she has some bit where she's talking about like how it was this slow quiet creeping war of Yerks infiltrating society and even though the yeah. Animorphs are like you know blowing stuff up and winning some battles every day more and more like foot soldiers of the Yerk Empire are infiltrating people who like are you know in power adjacent to power or whatever and it really reminded me of the like ongoing issue that has been a thing for a long time of like white supremacist groups infiltrating police departments and all kinds of government agencies and I, that kind of goes back to what we were just saying about how like the grandfather's experience with like colonialism and white tourism is why he really understands in a very thorough way what the Yerks are going to be like, because he has experienced this before. Across the universe, uh, all empires are just the same, you know? I mean, white supremacy isn't technically an empire. I mean, they're yeah, not, no, they're I not think centralized. It's, very, it's very linked. Yeah, there's this video game that I really enjoy playing, and it's like a manga and anime as well. It's like from Japan, but it always calls the American state the american empire which mm. i think is cool it's a cool commentary that's consistent throughout every iteration of it so yeah they're right and they should say it and more people should say it and more people should be willing to uh <sighs> i can't even like hmm. what i've had a week i've been very gung-ho about everybody needs to do everything they can to fight the empire and to sort of fight imperialism and to fight autocracy and empire whenever they get the chance but like how do you even how do you even do that in a way that matters you know yeah it's hard i mean no one person's gonna make any meaningful amount of impact unless maybe you're an animorph but like yeah you have to it's it's about you know group action and figuring out how to help people in a really practical way on a day-to-day basis yeah and the sort of individual sort of theatrics and heroics that these kids get up to doesn't really reflect reality and yeah it's just hard when you don't know i guess i guess i guess the the helplessness that they feel about not knowing who is a controller and who isn't a controller is sort of an analogy for how it feels to be living under an empire and really not knowing what to do and what's going to be safe and like what you're going to be able to do without losing your job or like i don't know like not getting a deadly disease that lots of people have and Mm. um at least in the 2020s the fascists labeled themselves you know you could tell yeah sometimes Sometimes. (laughs) yeah in other sort of instances against other empires, the lines have been a little bit more clear cut. You have known who, you, who your enemies are. In the case mm-hmm. of the Animorphs, like they just, <laughs> they don't, they can't. So like, what what is the solution for them as people possessed of power? Are you saying they're holding back by not doing more? Are you advocating for more war crimes? I mean, the Yerks, uh, uh, we've had the we've had the war crime conversation before. It's not you worth getting into going again. Back to it. <sighs> It makes no sense for them as guerrilla fighters to respect a convention of warfare. Their opposition pays no heed to and no credence to. Like, obviously, these kids have a sense of internal morality, and they're gonna follow that as best that they can. And their morality leads them to doing war crimes again and again. Again, whether or not a war crime, like, is even relevant, whether or not that's even, like, a thing that matters. 
I I can't like you you can't just be like oh it doesn't matter that they're killing civilians because the Yerks are killing civilians like yes both of those are bad but you can't only talk about how it's bad that the Yerks kill civilians and without acknowledging that it's also bad that the Animorphs were killing if the Yerks your enemy civilians. doesn't distinguish itself from whatever sort of populations that are protected under some sort of code that they do not respect themselves, what is the point in attempting to follow that code? No, are I you mean, saying that there's, like, not an, the normal rules of war that apply in this situation? Yeah, it's, it's literally alien warfare. Like, they're not respecting our Geneva Conventions. Like, I mean, granted, again, I don't think that... I think that the kids are operating from a sense of personal morality that given... What, the, the kind of character growth that we have seen within the context of the journals, given where they're coming from that we know about, granted there may be stuff that we don't know about that would be morally reprehensible, but like, I don't know, within the context of these being historical documents, I feel like there's no other choice but to trust these kids and just sort of be like, yeah, you know, you need to do what you need to do. As, you know, as Yami's grandfather says, do everything you can and anything you must. Mm -hmm. I think that line holds a lot of weight. Like, I think you really, there's a lot to dissect there because saying that you there's something that you have to do doesn't imply that you're doing anything like extraneous so figuring out for yourself what it is that you have to do i think is something that cassie does in this book yeah and i think she's perfectly justified in killing everyone that needs to be killed because at the end of the day she's fighting for the rights of everyone and yeah, yeah i mean she is a good balance of all the different animorphs well, but just opinions. just because <sighs> it's not ideal it's not uh it, it like obviously it would be great if we had some sort of outside morally arbitrating force here but then what is that is that just another power structure that eventually is gonna sort of like betray you i mean all of the people that she attacks and kills have, in this are combatants have, have the animorphs ever even tried to distinguish between like civilians and combatants they, they to them they okay besides Aftran, after you can't have like your one oh, after it's not good enough for you all of a sudden no i'm just saying that you after is like oh, your your linchpin it's like the linchpin of like half of your arguments and like she's well, one person because she's the only one that they talk about but the point is for all you know the yerks totally have a way of distinguishing between civilians and combatants and the animorphs just never bother to learn they're in the middle of a war. They have to protect their identities. Of course, they're not going to necessarily bother to I learn. Mean, like, if Aftrad stuck around, maybe if they conference with Aftrad a little bit more down in the ocean, they could do that. And would that be irresponsible of them? Yes. Would it help them win? Would it help them secure the future of, like, literally every living creature on Earth? Probably not. I, I mean, I am saying that they are doing the wrong thing, but I understand why they're doing it. My problem is when we, as humans distinguish between the Yerks killing civilians and the Animorphs killing civilians and say that one is just totally forgivable and one is just totally unforgivable. I don't think that the Animorphs killing civilians is totally forgivable. You hear me complaining you about how... Like you hear me complaining about how they have no regard for hork controllers and, like, the fact that oh, there's so no entirely... Oh, so if it's entirely... a hork controller, it's fine? <sighs> There's a different... Okay, this goes back to the uh, the, the Yerk pool on the Hork-Bajir homeworld, right? You've got a Hork-Bajir, right? That is a, that is a person... If it's a, it's a bunch of Yerks in a Yerk pool, that's an invading force! As far as I'm concerned, everybody, everybody in that Yerk pool is there to support the war effort. 
I see I see both the sides of what you're saying. I don't understand what's so hard about this to grasp. Like because some people have different perspectives from you. Have you ever tried thinking outside of your own little box for once? I mean, I think that there's a certain amount of like reasonable discussion that we've had here, Cassandra, but I think I think that there's I I, th- I think Parker, I don't know. I feel like Parker's brought up some valid points that I've been thinking about that I don't really I don't know. I feel like here at the end of the semester I just want to make sure that like all of what Parker's saying and all of her arguments are considered and I just I don't know. I don't feel like you haven't really been listening to her. I don't want to listen to this. It's awful to listen to. Like, I have the luxury of being able to consider alternative opinions. I have the luxury to look at this as a historical perspective. And so, yeah, I'm happy to condone what they're doing because they don't have the ability to step back and analyze a situation like we do. And that's the thing that I feel like you're missing. I don't have the ability to step back and analyze the situation either. My mother is a yerk. Like a... What? Wait, what? Like... Wait, is Cassandra still here? Wait, what is she- I'm very confused. When Yerks reproduce, they die. I think uh, Nautilism is a thing? Well, hmm. this book was interesting. Now I feel horrible. How do you feel? <laughs> I- I don't even- I'm done. I mean, I don't have any anyone in my life who's a Yerk or Yerk controlled. I guess I hadn't really been thinking about it from that perspective i feel really bad that she like just left hey um yeah so i know between all the schwarzenegger beeps and stuff i don't know who's got their their school email right now do you you have access to your school email yeah i just don't check it i can't remember to do that (laughs) can't be asked okay so i just got one okay windham academy is sad to report the death of bradley leone history professor emeritus just weeks after a sudden illness what? Wait. Wait, what? Are you messing with me? <laughs> I, uh... I got some stuff I gotta go do. I'll be back Wait, later. are you serious? Wait. Yeah. <laughs> are you are you messing with me? I can't tell about your voice. What is hap- Waiting for a break in the rain Waiting for the moment to change your lane I came home from the wasteland Heroic and triumphant like a comic book girl Created out of nothing like a comic book girl Hey! What if it's just more of the same?
The Morph Report is going on hiatus. Thank you all for listening for 44 weeks of silliness and analysis. And silly analysis. We'll see you in mid-June. We're really looking forward to coming back, but we have something big planned for the last 10 episodes. And a special thank you to our Patreon patrons. Follow us on Twitter at MorphReport for more updates, jokes, and to send in your questions. We look forward to seeing you all in June. Stay safe. Thanks to Noelle Miccarelli for the use of their song Comic Book Girl off the EP Field Notes from Another Place and Complicated Spoon.